Well, praise the Lord. Let's uh, kneel together for prayer at this time. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning, Lord, and the words that we heard straight from the mouth of, of, and lips of Jesus out of your word, Lord. Thank you for their strength and power today yet, O oh God. Thank you for the beautiful prayers that we sang in, our, in song, Lord. Lord Jesus, come and bless us now, as the song said. Oh, Father, we, we do thank you for the blessing of, of knowing you, Lord, and having the word and being blessed with being able to hear it preached and inspired by your spirit, Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that, that makes, makes the difference, Lord. God, it brings life to us, and we thank you for the word that bring, also brings life to us, Lord. God, I pray for, for strength and for, uh, for your spirit to speak yet a few more words here this morning to us. Give us your grace, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Well, I have a few thoughts to share with us. Not so many this morning, <clears throat> I think. Kind of filling in for Michael and had a fairly short, short notice to prepare, but I'd like to continue to focus on the Lord Jesus as we did this morning so far, kind of at the other end of his earth, time on earth or his earthly ministry, I should say. Luke focused on the beginning of his ministry there pretty much in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And I would like to focus a little more, not quite at the end of his ministry, but a few words that he said towards the end of his ministry. And the title I've taken from his words, part of something that he said, and I'm sure you would Recognize these words when I tell them to you. This is the title of the sermon that I have this morning. If thou hadst known are words of Jesus. If thou hadst known. We find those words in Luke 19, and you can open your Bibles there. And we'll read the whole passage there where that is found. It is found as he is approaching Jerusalem. And you have this huge, again, this huge multitude of people with him. Praising and worshiping him. He's on this donkey. And they're spreading their garments before him as he goes. And he is approaching the descent of the Mount of Olives in verse 37 in Luke 19. And the multitude, it says, of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And then they say that, 
Blessed be the king who cometh in the name of the Lord. Let me just read on here. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, now just picture this Jesus as he is absorbing this praise and, and knowing that this is right. And out of this multitude comes this to him from the Pharisees. And they say to him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. In verse 39. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you, if these should hold their peace. And he might have waved his hand out over the multitude, children and men and people of all ages, and said, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now think how that might have been. I just copied off some thoughts by Adam Clark on that verse there. He says, of such, importance is my, of such importance is my present conduct to you and to others, being expressly predicted by one of your own prophets, the prophet Zechariah, expressly prophesied that their king shall come riding on, the ass of a, uh, on, a colt, uh, on an ass's colt. Expressly had prophesied that, that they had forgotten as pointing out the triumph of humility over pride and of meekness over rage and malice, as signifying the salvation which I bring to the lost souls of men, that if this multitude were silent, God would give even to the stones a voice, that the advent of the Messiah might be duly celebrated. This was his celebration. And Jesus said, if my people, in other words, if the people won't praise me or be silent, of such importance is this moment that the stones would shout out. I had to wonder, going back a little bit, I had to wonder how long that sermon took Jesus. Luke got through it in about a half an hour. But I kind of imagine it took Jesus a little longer. I don't know, again, I'm imagining now, but I just imagine that he took his time and, and left it soak in. Things he said. And I was not bothered at all by the speed you did it with Luke at all. It's just I thought, I wondered if Jesus got through that in a half an hour. But so sincere and so profound and so... Humble was Jesus' words that they sat there in astonishment at what they had just heard. And I don't think Jesus changed that much to this, by this time in his ministry. Here he was riding on that donkey, just a lowly man. Kings usually ride on white horses. But Jesus was on this donkey and they were giving him his grand uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem there. And then he hears these words that he, sh that he should rebuke his disciples. And then look at verse 41, what he does. 
And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. And just imagine in your mind, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God. He's sitting there and he's looking out over Jerusalem and tears are coming down over his cheeks. And he just looks and maybe, I don't know how long this takes. This could, he could have sometimes when we're choked up, we can't talk right away. So it might have took him quite a while till he finally said. And he's speaking to the city, kind of symbolically to the Jews. If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now are they hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round and keep thee in every side. And they shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the day of thy visitation. As I ponder this picture of Jesus overlooking Jerusalem and weeping, tears coming down his cheeks, Three emotions are stirred in me. One of sadness, because we're human beings and we can, when someone weeps, we are moved by that. Jesus is weeping. I have an emotion of sadness as I think of Jesus. There he is, weeping. Just think of what was going on in his heart. I am the Messiah. But it was all, he wasn't going to force that on anyone. And, and he's weeping. So I have an emotion of sadness as I think of this moment. I had an emotion of alarm and concern as I pondered this because of what he says. If thou hadst known, at least in this thy day, this is not an ordinary day. This is a special day, a visitation from God. But you didn't know it. You didn't know the significance of this day. You didn't know the man sitting on the donkey on that hill overlooking this city. You didn't realize who he was and who he is. So I had, a, I had an and an emotion of alarm or concern about missing, missing opportunities. And then the last emotion that I had as I looked at what he said here is one of excitement. If thou hadst known the things which belong to thy peace, my Bible has an exclamation mark behind that word. If you would know all the good that I have in store for you. The blessings. If you would only believe me. So we'll briefly look at those three points. One of sadness. 
Obviously, we are saddened by the fact that we see Je- when we see Jesus weeping, we feel sad because we, we can relate to that. Weep with those that weep, like I already said. That is our very nature. But number two under this point is, but deeper than that, just... Deeper than that, just our emotions being touched, every Christian, at least to some extent, I believe, can feel the pain of what, was, of what Jesus was feeling at that moment, the pain of rejection. I think all of us, to a certain extent, know what it is to feel rejected. To have something to say, something to give, and people don't want to hear it. Isaiah said he was despised and rejected of men. And, and, and we know that Jesus suffered much, much persecution. And, and even uh, Paul told Timothy that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So we can, we can feel with Jesus just a little bit as true Christians what Jesus was feeling there. The second one of alarm. Of this thy day, the day of thy visitation. Consider with me a few of the times that God stepped out of eternity down to the earth and visited his people. This word visit... It doesn't just mean to come and have a friendly visit, but it means to come and inspect. Coming to look things over. I'm coming to look things over, and if you turn with me back to Luke 1, maybe for just a quick verse, there where Zacharias prophesied about, it was, he was prophesying about his son, uh, John the Baptist there in, in Luke 1. Ah. Uh, if I can lay my eyes on it. Verse 67 of Luke 1. And his father, Zacharias, this was after John was born, and, and people wanted to call him Zacharias like his father. And, of course, John couldn't talk yet at that point, so his wife said, no, his name shall be John. And then they wrote that on, on a piece of paper and showed it to John, and he said, yes, his name shall be John. And then his tongue was was uh, loosed, and he spake and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt round about them. And in verse 68, 67, it says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Now, a quick look at that verse would mean that when, when God sent Jesus to the earth, that was a visitation, and Jesus brought redemption. Well, and they were all saved. That's what it would look like. God has visited his people and redeemed his people. Well, we know that's not true because he came unto his own, and his own received him not. So I think the more, the true sense of, the, a better true sense of this verse is that God had looked down on his people. He saw that they sat in gross darkness. 
He saw what they needed. And right now in this setting, he, he, he is sending the Savior. He is sending the ransom. Okay? Mary was already with child at this point. Maybe popular society didn't know that it was Jesus yet. John and, and Elizabeth probably did because they were together there and they had talked, Elizabeth and Mary. But, but John was born and, and uh, Mary was six months behind with her pregnancy. But Zacharias, I believe, knew that Jesus is, is to come and to be that ransom for his people. And so I believe Zacharias was both, both prophesying of things from the past and things to come in the near future here when Jesus would come and, uh, and pay the ransom for his people, but not near everyone received the ransom into their lives. And all Israel was not saved. I believe it was about 40 years later after what we read there in Luke 19 when Titus came in and totally destroyed Jerusalem like, like Jesus prophesied there. And history says that all those that followed Jesus and were Christians, none of them lost their lives. Those that refused and stayed in Jerusalem either were taken captive or lost their lives. So anyway, let's go with me to Genesis briefly for a time when God visited, when God stepped out of eternity, so to speak, and showed up on the earth in Genesis 18. And kind of look what he, what he says here. Genesis 18, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord appeared unto him, Moses, in the plain of Mamre, and he sat, I'm sorry, this is Abraham, and he sat in the tent of, of the door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and he bowed himself toward the ground, and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. And so he goes into all the preparation there of getting them water and food. Jumping down to verse 20. After all, they had told Abraham that, uh, he's, that they're going to have a, a son. In verse 20, the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see, and there we have that, that idea of visitation, visiting, inspecting. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. God is checking this out. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. I don't know if two went and one stayed or how this all was. 
But Abraham drew near and said, and then he goes into that dialogue there, if God would destroy the righteous with the wicked, in verse 25 it says, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And then jumping down to verse 33. And the Lord went his way and stood as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. God had come down and visited Sodom. Go over to Exodus 3 for a short account there. Here Moses is on the backside of the desert and he sees this burning bush in verse 2 and he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And the Lord saw that he turned aside and God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, "Here here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now look at verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. And am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them out of the land unto a good land. A large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Unto the place. And then he mentions all those Canaanites there. Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And, I'll, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, and that, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then our, and Moses kind of thinks he, he can't do the job there, but God had visited, God had been watching, inspecting, and about ready to move, a tremendous move. And in the, in the Gospels, we know that Jesus made his appearing there. The shepherds made the first proclamation, and the wise men, and, and the sad, sad verse in John 1.11, where it says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. We're looking at the, uh, the, the point where there's, there's an alarm in the words of Jesus. They didn't know the day, their day of visitation. Let's think back to Sodom. We know the outcome of Sodom. How Lot went in a few days and warned them, but they mocked him. They mocked him. It was not a good outcome. And we know, we know the end of that visitation. They burned up in fire and brimstone from heaven. 
Well, let's think about Egypt when God came to them with mighty deliverance. And how they sang the songs of victory when they crossed through the Red Sea. And yet we know that many of those murmured and complained and hardened their hearts, as Ezra read this morning. They hardened their hearts at what God wanted to do for them. And we know how they rejected Jesus then when he came. And so much so they finally crucified him and said, give us Barabbas. They did not know their day of visitation. So the question that comes to me on this point is, how are we receiving what the Lord shows us? What are we doing with those, with those mysterious and unusual and maybe, maybe seemingly small in our estimation Promptings of the Holy Spirit when he speaks to us. How are we doing? God in the Bible puts a lot on obeying when he speaks. He really does. Isaiah says, call upon the Lord when he is near. Seek him while he may be found. It gives the idea that it's not always that way. How are we doing? Ezra and I didn't talk. I didn't know he's going to read Hebrews 3. And he didn't know I was going to read Hebrews 3. But you can turn there again. And we'll look at those words again. Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7. Looking at this in light of being conscious of the Lord speaking to us as believers and not turning him away like the Jews did. Hebrews 3 verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today... If ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin hardens our heart. Sin is deceitful. Disobedience is sin. And sin is deceitful. And we make excuses. 
and we explain things away. And after a while, before we know it, we have a hard heart if we're not careful. For we are made partakers of Christ if, there's that little word, if, we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. How often does he have to repeat this? As in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So, we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear. Here's his emotion of fear. Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, his own people. Tears coming down his cheeks. You didn't know this day. You didn't grasp the significance of this day. How does he do that today to us? We'll see that maybe in a little bit here. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should come short of it. Ephesians says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And Paul told the Thessalonian believers, Quench not the Spirit. You know, I, I think Jesus often works in very, how can I say it? The word is not coming to me. In very secretive ways, for lack of a better word. And you, you, you remember what he said there in Matthew 25 when he's talking about the judgment and he's commending those that were true followers of him and he's saying, you did all these things. And they said, when did we these things? They didn't know it. It was just they were doing it out of sheer obedience to the Lord. And sometimes we might think, well, now, if I would see Jesus, you know, with his robe and, you know, now this is Jesus in person, you know, okay, I'm going to minister to him. Well, you know, the scripture says that Jesus is in that least of the brother. And so there is an alarming in these, uh, an alarm in these words. If you only knew that this was Jesus. If we only knew that this was Jesus. And my last emotion, one of excitement. The things which belong to thy peace. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Brothers and sisters, it doesn't get any better than that. Amen? Amen. 
He first of all gave his own son. Jesus became man, put on flesh, and became the sacrifice for us. He delivered him up. How shall he not with him also freely give us all that we need? Turn with me to 2 Peter, if you would please, here in the final scripture. This could be both very exciting and also alarming if we as Christians are not appropriating these promises to our experience. But look what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus said, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong to thy peace. Now reading here in 2 Peter According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, through knowing Jesus, that has called us to glory and virtue. Whereby or by him are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, most of us know that lust is a, is a hard master. It, it's, it, we're never, lust is never satisfied. And we know what it is to be in the grips of lust, but Jesus came and brought deliverance from that dominion of sin. Oh, brothers and sisters, are we, one, are we appropriating that to our lives? It should be exciting to us that we have that in our experience. And I, I would just like to read something that we sang this morning in one of our songs, and then I'm done. Happy Zion, what a favored lot is thine. Happy Zion, Zion stands with hills surrounded, Zion's kept by power divine. All her foes shall be confounded, though the world in arms combine. Happy Zion, what a favored lot is thine. What a favored lot is thine. Why do we complain? Why do we ever grumble? God didn't take that too lightly when the children of Israel grumbled. He really didn't. And there was a verse that I failed to put in my notes, but it comes to me now. You know, God dealt very severely with the children of Israel that didn't believe him. He barred them from going into the promised land. 
It was not a little thing to not believe God. And the, the verse that, that I was thinking about and failed to write down, but it comes to me now, is this verse. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Oh, dearly beloved, let's make sure that that we're appropriating what Jesus is providing for us, okay? It is of utmost importance that we are appropriating to our lives, that we're putting on, that we're experiencing these, these exceeding great and precious promises. This is the walk of faith. If we walk by sight, we will grumble and complain. Happy Zion, what a favorite lot is thine. Praise God. I leave you with that positive note.